2: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, beachfront property in L.A. County, known as Bruce's Beach, could be returned to the descendants of a black family who owned it in the early 20th century. Legislation aimed at that just passed the state senate. In the 1920s, white Manhattan Beach residents and the KKK forced the Bruce family to give up their coastline property with the help of the city council, which claimed eminent domain. Now the possible return of the land could be a model for California's new reparations task force that convened for the first time last week. The Story of Bruce's Beach and its Impact on Broader Efforts to Repair Historical Injustices Against Black People. That's next, after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. In 1912, Willa Bruce and her husband Charles bought a small stretch of coastline in Manhattan Beach that they turned into a thriving resort popular among Black Americans. Then came harassment from neighboring white residents and the Ku Klux Klan. And finally, the Manhattan Beach City Council seizing Bruce's Beach under eminent domain. Now, a decades long effort to return the land to the descendants of Willa and Charles Bruce is gaining significant momentum. And joining me is a descendant of the Bruce's, Chief Dwayne Yellowfeather Shepherd of the Pocasset Wampanoag Nation. Welcome to Forum, Chief Shepherd.
3: Thank you, I appreciate the opportunity.
2: Well, we really appreciate having you on. And I was wondering if you could describe Bruce's Beach for people who may not have seen it before. Where is it exactly? And what's it like?
3: Uh, It's in Manhattan Beach, California, right down on the coast of some very beautiful, pristine uh, land in Southern California. Uh, At the time that the uh, Bruce family had it, it was uh, uh, completely undeveloped for the most part. It was all all sand dunes, except for a trolley car that ran right down there to bring people from other parts of Southern California to to the facility.
2: Wow. So tell us about Willa and Charles Bruce. Who were they? Why did they decide to acquire this property more than 100 years ago?
3: Well, Willa was a descendant of slaves, and Charles was the descendant of free blacks from Washington, D.C. I believe his mother was from Virginia, from the Bruce plantation there. Uh, At the time, uh, there were no opportunities for African-Americans in the country to live peacefully. Uh, They uh, met in Albuquerque, Mexico, and got married there. And then uh, eventually, uh, because of Charles's travels on the railroad, uh, came to know about Southern California. Uh, They decided to take the opportunity to move away and to to a land of greater opportunity. And they moved from Albuquerque to Los Angeles in 1906. Uh, in 1912, they bought the uh, one piece of property there in Manhattan Beach for $1,200, which was considerably more than the $50 to $100 dollars that the lots were being sold for. Hmm. But of course, she bought. Sure. They, they bought it anyway. Uh, it was in Willa's name because at that time, Black men could not buy property uh, in that area. So Willow uh, used her name on the deed to buy the property. And uh, they opened a food stand there, a small food stand. And within a year, they had paid off the property and it started to build their restaurant, dining hall, and bathhouse.
2: Wow. So then tell us about who went to the resort and, and the community, really, that developed around it.
3: Well, uh, the resort became a uh, magnet for uh, the African-American community uh, through, throughout Southern California, not just Los Angeles, but people from San Diego and all over the place came there because uh, all over the uh, uh state came there, uh, people of color, because it was the only place that people could go and enjoy the water. Uh, You imagine the entire coastline of California, most likely the entire west coast of the United States, uh, was off limits to African Americans uh, and people of other minority persuasions as well. Uh, So uh, they uh, moved there in order to give people the opportunity to have their social functions and enjoy the water. So it was a magnet for um, black business people, Uh, black socialites, uh, the black actors and musicians, uh, politicians, uh, even the black gangsters. uh, It was a place where they could go and have their social functions that they could not normally have in the confines of their cities, uh, or either they were just inadequate for the larger crowds that they wanted to have.
2: I heard that you learned about the story as a child, and I'm curious when you when you think about that, um, you think about this place, what it? sort of evokes for you, do you imagine what it was like there at the time?
3: Um, Well, you know, I was, like I said, was pretty, pretty young when I heard about the story. I didn't think much of it because they really didn't take, they didn't talk about the terrorism that the family uh, endured at the hands of the Ku Klux Klan and the white residents and, you know, the municipalities there, uh, uh, the municipal uh, workers there. Uh, So I didn't think much about it until I got older and was tasked with Putting together our family genealogy uh, so for the past 30 years i've been researching uh as much as i could about the bruce family as well as charles and willow bruce uh to find whatever we could of the pieces of who our various families were we, we came from five different plantations owned by one family mm. so therefore we were transferred from plantation to plantation our men were used to breed different families on each of those plantations so we have all these nuclear families who are trying to find their original family lines which we do through genealogy and uh dna
2: you're mentioning the racist hostility from the neighboring white residents there the kkk can you just talk a little bit now about what your family and the black patrons experienced
3: well this has all been handed down by word of mouth through the family uh through generations we still feel the effects of it some of us in the family uh and you know they were terrorized by these people they they you know they they burned mattresses under the uh, porch of the of the resort uh, trying to set it on fire. Uh, they had twenty four seven phone threats uh, to the to the resort all the time uh, around the clock I should say twenty four seven meaning t- around the clock. Uh, phone threats to the family. Uh, they uh, slashed the tires of patrons. They did not just let the air out of these people's tires, they actually slashed their tires and there was no firestone Tire company to go buy new tires back in uh, in the local area at that time. So you can imagine the disruption there. They put up 10 minute parking meters. Uh, They had no trespassing signs in front of the resort so that um, people could not go right into the water right in front of the resort. They had to walk a half mile in either direction in order to get into the water. Uh, They uh, burned crosses. Uh, They fired shots at people. There were fights. They started fights with the African Americans there which did not bode well for them. Uh, and, um, you know, they basically, the, it was a sundown town. So even the municipality, uh, the, um, the sheriff's department there, or the constable at that time, got involved by, you know, harassing black residents that were there after dark.
2: Mm. In the city of Manhattan Beach, can you talk about how it got involved and the series of moves it took to, to basically wrest the property from your family?
3: Well, with, with the influence of the Ku Klux Klan moving in, Uh, the white residents uh, took up the uh, fight and took it to the uh, to the uh, Manhattan Beach uh, Board of Trustees, which is now the city council. Uh, They uh, insisted that something be done about the the invasion of uh, blacks into the area. Uh, And so the city council passed an ordinance uh, condemning any businesses on that area that they now call the Strand, which is right down on the water. Uh, This essentially put uh, Charles and Willow Bruce out of business, but they, Charles and Willow Bruce out of business, but they continued until they finally uh, the city of uh, city of Manhattan Beach then condemned the property and decided to take it as eminent domain, uh, and that's when Charles and Willa Bruce started to fight them in court in 1927. They went to court to fight the uh, the uh, process, also the offer of uh, I think it was twelve hundred dollars for both lots at that time that they they definitely did not accept. They wanted $35,000 per lot plus $50,000 in punitive damages. Uh, And that's because their lots had a business on them. All the other lots owned by people only had small homes there. But they had businesses, and they wanted to be compensated fairly for them.
2: And what was the city's justification for taking the property through eminent domain, the stated justification? Uh, justification?
3: They stated that they wanted to put a public park there. Uh, which they did not do. They took the land in 19, finally in 1929, they finally had lawfully taken the land from our family. Uh, They did not build a park there until 1957. So you're talking uh, 50 years, pretty I mean, 30 years, pretty much, that they did not uh, actually follow through on their promise to build a, a public park, which indicates that it was taken for nefarious reasons.
2: What happened to Willa and Charles Bruce, after this, how did this experience affect them?
3: Oh, you know, it was devastating. Uh, they uh, lost the case in 1929, finally. They were only given a, uh, a uh, settlement of $14,125, uh, which they did not even get the cash for that until 1932. Uh, they uh, pretty much were destitute when they, le- when they left. They spent their entire fortune fighting this action. This illegal action by uh, the uh, city council. They moved to the east side of Los Angeles, uh, ended up working as cooks in other people's diners after being this prominent and well-to-do entrepreneurship. And uh, the stress of it uh, drove uh, Willa crazy uh, because they were still in the threats of death and bodily harm by the Ku Klux Klan, even after leaving Manhattan Beach because they didn't want them moving back to Manhattan Beach, even though it was ordered that they should be able to do so. And she lost her mind. She passed away in 1934. Uh, Charles then mm-hmm. passed away from uh, rheumatoid arthritis, complications from that, in 1935.
2: Wow. Well, Chief Shepherd, I heard that decades there were efforts to try to get the land back, but that at, at one point even the family felt like they needed to give up hope. What revived the fight for you?
3: Well, um, I um, was always interested in what could be done about the process, Uh, but uh, in in 2018, we had a family reunion there, and Mayor Mitch Ward, who had spearheaded getting the uh, beach, uh, having the plaque there and recognizing the efforts of the African Americans and the history of the African Americans there in Manhattan Beach, he and the present mayor uh, came to visit us at the beach uh, during that family reunion, and I was just overwhelmed with emotion, and I declared then, that it was sacred land, because we are indigenous people as well, that it was sacred land and I was going to do everything that I could to get that land back in our possession. Uh, in nine, well, last year, during the COVID crisis, uh, Miss Kavon Ward and her organization, ARM, uh, had a uh, demonstration there and declared that they were going, they, that the Justice for Bruce, Bruce's Beach uh, movement should begin, mm-hmm. and that uh, the family should have their land returned to them. I was introduced to her by a cousin of mine who was there at the demonstration. And uh, we decided to work together to do everything that we could to make sure that Charles and Will and Bruce and their descendants got the justice that they deserve.
2: We're talking with Chief Dwayne Yellowfeather Shepherd, a descendant of the Bruce's and also a clan chief of the Pocasset Wampanoag Nation. We're talking about the story of Bruce's Beach and the movement for justice for Bruce's Beach, as well as its broader impact on conversations related to reparations. And we'll also have Kavan Ward join us right after the break. But before we do, I invite you our listeners to join the conversation. Have you visited Bruce's Beach? Do you have stories about it to share? What are your reactions to what you're hearing from Chief Shepard? 866 6786 is the number to call. Again, 866-733-6786 You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum You can email your questions to forum at kqed.org We'll have more after the break I'm Mina Kim
0: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
2: We're talking about Bruce's Beach, beachfront property in LA County that could be returned to the descendants of a black family who owned it in the early 20th century. And with us is a descendant, Duane, Chief Dwayne Yellowfeather Shepherd of the Pocasset Wampanoag Nation. And also joining us now is Kavon Ward, founder of Justice for Bruce's Beach. Kavon Ward, thanks so much for being on Forum. Hello. Thanks so much for having me. So you're a community organizer, and I understand your advocacy, as uh, Chief Shepard pointed out, has played a big role in the movement to return Bruce's Beach to the descendants of Willa and Charles. He mentioned, he mentioned an event on Juneteenth, twenty twenty. Can you tell us about that day and what happened that day?
4: Yes, absolutely. So I was uh, a part of a group, I co-founded a group called Anti-Racist Movements Around the South Bay. And that's when we started the movement for Justice for Bruce's Beach. It was w- there when we realized that um, the plaque was a bit inaccurate and incomplete. Uh, and then we also realized that the fact that the land had been stolen by these Black entrepreneurs, it just it just didn't sit right with me. Um, you know, this country oftentimes tell us we need to tell black people we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. But the, this was a family. This was a, uh, these were people who who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, but their bootstraps were taken. Their boots were taken and the socks were taken and, and they were ran off of the land. And for me, it wasn't right. And I just felt moved spiritually to to do something about it.
2: Can you talk about what Justice for Bruce's Beach came up with in terms of demands and and the reaction of the Manhattan Beach City Council?
4: Absolutely. So we wanted to figure out a way legislatively and legally Uh, that we could help uh, the family get their land back. And so initially our strategy was to figure out legally how we could help. And we had some folks in our group who had connections with public counsel. And so uh, we got the family in contact with public counsel and public counsel helped the attorney's uh, legally with what, whatever they decided to do. Um, and then legislatively, we were trying to figure out a way that we could have the land deeded back to the family, right? Because that was the ultimate goal. Um, and then also figuring out how we can get restitution for the family and just reparations overall for Black people choosing to live in Manhattan Beach because it's less than 1% Black people there. Um, and so when we realized, you know, we we, we had a couple of, ma- we had a march and a protest last summer, um, shortly after we created this petition on color of change. Um, and then that prompted the city council to create a task force for Bruce's Beach. Um, and one of the things they decided to do within that task force is to, to do more research uh, about what happened during the 1920s with Charles and Willa Bruce. Um, and that is when we learned that the land was not the land that Charles and Willa Bruce owned was actually not currently owned by the city of Manhattan Beach, but that it was owned by the county. Um. So with the help of Patrice Colors uh, and folks from uh, Color of Change, we figured out a way to put pressure on um, LA County, and, and and Janice Hahn heard us, and she responded.
2: Now at the city council level, my understanding is that they offered. for an art exhibit about the Bruces and rewording of a plaque at the park. Um, What was your reaction to that? I mean, it was,
4: I felt like it was a farce. I felt like they were trying to make these symbolic changes that we weren't asking for. No one asked for a $350,000 art exhibit. In fact, no one asked for an art exhibit. I felt like that money should be used, should have been used to give to the family as, as part of restitution. Um, and then in terms of the plaque, yes, we asked for the, the language on the, ch- the plaque to be changed, but they went along and decided that they were going to add a second plaque at the lifeguard training facility. And for me, it was just like, there you are again, making decisions about land that you don't own. Um, so it was just, I felt like, it was worthless, just in terms of the of the grand scheme of things, in terms of what the family was actually owed. They wanted their land back. They should get their land back. They want restitution. They want to be paid for lost business enterprise over the last 95, 96 years. They need to be paid for violations of their civil and human rights. And the city of Manhattan Beach offered nothing of that. And so I felt like I feel like the, the city of Manhattan Beach is essentially useless.
2: As you mentioned, you've been gaining some traction, though, with regard to the attention of L.A. County and ultimately the state. And we're going to dig into that a little more as we're going to be joined by a state senator in short order. But before we go there, I did want to ask you, Kavon Ward, you have talked about how you see the work that's being done on Bruce's Beach as a template for activism in other places across the country. Can you talk about why you feel that way? Absolutely.
4: This is a precipice. This, like, this like, is We're on the precipice of making history. There's no other um, state in this nation that has given land back to Black people. Um, and so I am actually working with a group of women to um, start a national organization that will help get Black land back uh, for other Black families who have been reaching out to us, people who have been working so hard for 30, 40 years to get land back that, that was stolen from them. Um, and so I think that this is a part of what reparations is, right? is repairing the damage done. And, and, and some of the damage done was that, you know, land was stolen from black people. And so we need to repair that damage and make sure that we get that land back to these people. Um, and so that's what my goal is, is to take this nationally and, and use this to, as a springboard to, to help other families around the nation. Kavan
2: Ward, founder of Justice for Bruce's Beach. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. And I should mention that Kavon Ward and Chief Shepard are featured in the fourth episode of KQED's podcast, Sold Out, which explores housing as a form of reparations as well. Um, Chief Shepard, I also just wanted to get your reaction to how Manhattan Beach has responded.
3: Uh, Well, first of all, I I need to clarify the name of my tribe. I don't want to get in trouble there. We're the Pocasset-Wampanoag tribe. Of the Poconoke Nation. Uh, And and I'm a clan chief. I'm not the chief, I'm one of the clan chiefs that sits on the tribal council there. Uh, So, yeah, the the city council has been, uh, you know, they've been comical in the errors that they constantly commit in trying to resolve the issue of uh, the Bruce's Beach, uh, justice for the Bruce's family. Uh, They've never reached out to us ever. Uh, about any of the issues that we have brought forth, the restitution, restoration, or the punitive damages uh, that uh, should be uh, given to our family, the loss of generational wealth. Uh, there's never been an offer on the table at all uh, regarding uh, anything uh, as far as justice for our family. Uh, so what they have done is uh, fall over themselves each and every time, trying to figure out another way of not to try and make themselves not look racist. And each time they make themselves look more racist, what they should do is listen to their children in their community and tell the truth about what has happened so that they can get beyond it. Sit down and talk with our family, make an offer for restitution and see if we can work this out so that this negative scar that's on their, on their municipality right now will go away. Uh, and for some reason, they seem unable to figure out that that's the thing that they should do. Uh, the first thing is to apologize to the Bruce family, which we're not looking for the apology. The reason I say they should apologize is to set the example for their youth uh, that this is the thing to do, that you admit that something was wrong and that you apologize for it and you try to make amends for it and move forward. That's the mature thing to do. And that's not happening in Manhattan Beach right now.
2: We're talking with Dwayne Yellowfeather Shepherd, a descendant of the Bruces, a clan chief of the Pocasset Wampanoag tribe of the Poconoet Nation. Thank you, Chief Shepherd, for clarifying that for us. I really appreciate it. And there's a comment from listener James who writes, I grew up in Manhattan Beach, California in the sixties and seventies. I'd never heard of this, never. I was aware, however, that the KKK had a long time presence there, and that the silent film star William Haynes, who was openly gay, had been run out of an unincorporated adjacent area called El Porto, which was subsequently annexed by Manhattan Beach. I mean, this is one of the big things, right? Chief Shepard is is really raising awareness still to this day of the story, which has taken really decades to come out.
3: Absolutely, uh, they need to go back through history and look at the '60s movement. We young people, we did not, we weren't just fighting. Of the United States government, we were fighting our own families, our own, our own local uh, political leaders for the fact that we have been denied the truth of our Uh, history—not just Black history, but Indigenous history and Asian history and uh, uh, Hispanic history in this country. And so, therefore, the young people in Manhattan Beach have now come together along with Black Lives Matter and the other organizations there, pushing for. Justice for Bruce's Beach, because now they are angry that they have been wrong and have been denied the uh, the truth about what has happened in their city. It's the same situation that they're having in uh, uh, in uh, Tulsa right now in Greenwood, that young people have left that city, gone to college and had people uh, had professors talk about what had happened in Greenwood uh, and then uh, stood up to say that, you know, that that didn't happen in their city to find out that they had been denied the truth. And we're embarrassed at the fact that they didn't know what actually happened in their city. And that's what's happening in Manhattan Beach right now. These young people are livid. And I believe that they're going to make changes to that city council at these next elections. And that's what city council better figure out on how they're going to make sure that these young people want them and not someone else.
2: Well, joining us now is Senator Stephen Bradford, representing California Senate District 35, which includes parts of L.A. County. Senator Bradford, thanks so much for joining us.
5: Thank you for having me.
2: And as we were talking about earlier, ultimately, it's L.A. County who owns the land now. Can you talk about how L.A. has been working with you at the state level to try to return the land to to the Bruce family's descendants?
5: We've been working in collaboration, and I want to thank uh, Supervisor Hahn for her great leadership as well as Supervisor Holly Mitchell for jumping in with both feet as soon as this was brought to their attention uh, that the opportunity presented itself in order to uh, transfer this land back to the family where it rightly belongs Um, and the state's involvement in it is because uh, we deeded the land to the county in 1995 and we put a series of restrictions on how that land could be used and we now have to remove those restrictions to free the county up to do what is clearly the right thing in returning this property back to the Bruce family. So uh, we've been working in concert since, uh, you know, three months ago uh, to make sure that this happens expeditiously as possible. It's an urgency clause on the legislation, which means that uh, as soon as we get it to the governor's desk uh, and he signs it, it goes into effect immediately. So. uh,
2: I see. But but how soon could that happen? So we understand that it past the Senate. It goes to the Assembly now. Uh, how soon do you think it could be on the governor's desk here? Are you it, it getting indications? It could be on the governor's yes. desk
5: mm-hmm. in 30 days. If, it depends on how quick it makes its way through the Assembly. If they put a rush on it, uh, um, last Friday was the House of Origin deadline, so now the bills go to the op, uh, other House. Our, all, all our Senate bills are now in the Assembly, and all the Assembly bills are now in the Senate. So it's just a question of uh, setting uh, the measure. Uh, SB 796 for committee hearing. It could be up in natural resources next week and can move on to uh, what other community, uh, committee that it might have to go through appropriations. And it could be on the floor literally in two weeks if they make this a priority. So the governor could clearly be signing this before the end of June.
2: Hmm. Well, let me go to caller Roberto in South San Francisco. Hi, Roberto. Thanks for calling in.
6: Thanks for having this conversation um, th- the comment I wanted to share is that, you know, for me, this situation is ultimately representative of um, of what we're wrestling, wrestling with as a nation right now. You know, there's, uh, there's the notion that we're trying to reckon with our nation's history. Um, and, of course, there are, there are many folks who are unwilling or unable to reckon with that history. Uh, I think the efforts by the Republicans. Uh, at the state level to prohibit these histories from being shared in the history books is part of an effort to forget and to move on uh, without reckoning with that history. And Mm -hmm. I think the the greatest fear is for folks to let go of resources uh, that have been herited as a result of stolen labor and and stolen land. You know, for Native folks, uh, for Black folks, for all folks uh, for whom the U.S. government has always stood up, uh, as, it, as with the example of this history, has always stood up uh, for the theft and injustice um, in, in the process of building white wealth uh, at the expense of the wealth of all other folks in this nation.
2: Well, Roberto, let me get Senator Bradford's reaction to what you're saying, because, Senator Bradford, I know that you have specifically said that some may question whether we should return public land to address something that happened nearly a hundred years ago or even longer. How do you respond to uh, this is those this
5: questions? is not public land. It was stolen from the Bruces family under the guise of a Uh, building a public park that was 30-plus years before Mm -hmm. it was ever even considered being built. So uh, this is not public land. And, again, as the caller stated, uh, I saw a young African-American young lady uh, last week, and she had a T-shirt on and says they've stolen more than we've ever looted. And that's America. America has stolen more from the Native Americans, more from African-Americans, and our uh, Asian and Latino brothers than has we've ever taken. We've given more to this country. So this is righting a wrong and returning the property back to the Bruce's. It would have never been public land. It was under private ownership by not only the Bruce's, but the six other surrounding families. And they use eminent domain to take this property.
2: Yeah, about Roberto's other point, I feel like in terms of he talks about this as our nation 's dilemma. I think he also is alluding to just the discomfort the the desire to forget. Do you think that that 's also a very real and powerful force in this
5: it, it is I mean the denial, the refusing to just simply apologize the acknowledgement, the reconciliation that is due uh, in america the just the fight we have every year in the legislature for ethnic studies. If we had ethnic studies, we would know about these uh, stories. We would start teaching them in grade school, but we have a fight every year just to have ethnic studies to tell the true American story. And if we did that, you know, folks would have to look themselves in the mirror. But far too many of them say, oh, that happened so long ago. I dare you to tell our Jewish brothers and sisters, to get forget about the Holocaust. I dare you to tell our Armenian brothers to forget about the Armenian genocide, but they continue to want you to forget about the racism and slavery here in America. This is the foundation of this country. It's in our DNA, and they want to whitewash it every time they get a chance to say, oh, let's forget about that. Let's talk about something else. No, we have to look at it and, and deal with it straight head on. And this opportunity here with Bruce's beaches, uh, awakening a lot of folks, like um, I think Ms. Ward stated, it's a lot of folks, uh, in uh, Manhattan Beach was totally unaware that this happened. I grew up in the South Bay, just three miles east of there in Gardena, and we had heard about it, but not to that great detail. So now people are aware, and, and as I stated, This is just one example. It's hundreds, if not thousands of stories like the Bruce's that has happened here in California and across this country. So we need to talk about it and come to grips with it.
2: And Chief Shepard, want to get your reaction as well. You were talking about young people. You were talking about hope. Do you feel like you've sensed a change in terms of people's willingness to reckon with these types of these types of horrific, as you described them, terrorist events?
3: Uh, yes, I, I, the young people in this country have a thirst now for the true history of, of this country. Uh, they they're more tolerant uh, with uh, the various races that make up their society, and they want to move forward in uh, in a, in a uh, more congenial manner with their fellow man. And so, therefore, uh, these these uh, incidents that uh, they are hearing about are very important for them to going forward to make sure that their children don't repeat repeat the same mistakes that have been made by their predecessors their ancestors
2: well Stephen writes i lived in manhattan beach from 81 to 90 and never once heard mention of this story while there this also adds to what we are learning about how african-american economic efforts were repressed and destroyed in a century after the civil war I grew up in the 1960s and 70s, and it is galling to remember how black communities themselves were blamed for their lesser economic conditions at the time. We're talking about the Bruce's Beach story, its broader impact on the conversation and movement for reparations in California, and we'll actually be joined by a member of the California Reparations Task Force, of which Senator Bradford is also a member. We'll talk more about that after the break. You can join the conversation as well, 866-733-6786, the number. Email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Stay with us. I'm Nina Kim.
7: We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go.
2: Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about Bruce's Beach with a descendant of the Bruces, Dwayne Yellowfeather Shepherd, a clan chief of the Pocasset Wampanoag tribe of the Wampanoag tribe of the Pocono Nation. Also, st- st- uh, Senator Stephen Bradford is with us, representing California's Senate District 35, includes parts of LA County, and author of Senate Bill 796. I should also mention that Senator Bradford is chair of the California Legislative Black Caucus and of the Senate Committee on Public Safety. And let me go to callers who are reacting to this story and the things that they are hearing. Fred in Mill Valley, join us. Hi, Fred. Thanks for waiting.
8: Hello. Listen, I grew up in the Manhattan Beach area uh, from the mid '60s to the late '80s, and uh, in the the housing density from the southern border to the northern border of the beach area is is really high. All the houses are built right next to each other, except for this one area. It's just it was just a green strip of m- mowed lawn, and I always questioned that, and I never got any answers. Like even through middle school. But in high school, I found out that uh, blacks lived there, and they were burnt out.
2: And what was your reaction to hearing that, Fred?
8: I was I was kind of in shock because it didn't reflect the people I knew that lived there. Um, I knew when I was growing up in the late in the early excuse me in the mid 60s when I first moved there, there was some Klan uh, activity still, but it faded away by the 80s and 90s. But, you know, right now, I didn't, there was no name attached to that land, and for me personally, until about, about six years ago. And now I'm seeing photographs of the families and the visitors, and just, it's just crazy.
2: Well, well, you know, friend- this is a real
8: story. These are real people.
2: Yeah, Fred, I, I appreciate hearing your reaction. And I actually want to bring Lisa Holder now into the conversation. Lisa Holder is a Los Angeles-based civil rights attorney with a private practice in Pasadena, also of counsel to the Equal Justice Society, and a recent appointee to California's Reparations Task Force. Lisa Holder, thanks so much for joining us. Lisa Holder, are you there? I I believe you might be muted, Lisa Holder. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. It's oh, a pleasure no, no problem. <laughs> a pleasure <laughs> having you as well. Um, and, uh, well, one of the things I wanted to ask you just coming off of Fred's point is what role do you think the effort to return property and provide restitution to Bruce's Beach, you know, the descendants, what that can play in the broader efforts of the task force? What role it can potentially play?
1: Well, you know, just in response to what the caller said and and the the caller prior to that as well what what both those callers are alluding to is is the fact that in this country we have a, a white supremacist master narrative and what i mean by that is that everything that we are taught everything that we learn our education system our values are constructed around a master narrative that uplifts white people and subjugates, continues to subjugate African Americans and people of color and the history um, of those subjugated peoples. And so there we are now in a moment of reckoning with that white supremacist master narrative. The caller talked about how he grew up right near Bruce's beach and he never heard anything about that story. What does that tell you? That story has been purposefully hidden. Like the Senator said, there are hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of stories about African-Americans and the subjugation that we have faced in the last four centuries that have been purposefully hidden. There's also so many stories about ways that African-Americans have tried to elevate themselves and about ways that African-Americans have contributed to the development of American society. But like what we saw in the film Hidden Figures, those stories about our contributions have been purposefully hidden. So the value of uplifting and amplifying a story like Bruce's Beach and the value of doing the right thing in terms of returning that land to the rightful owners and paying recompense for all of the economic benefits that that family has lost over the last 100 years, economic benefits that they would have had had they been able to keep their land. The, the value of this today, what, what you are doing in terms of elevating that story, what the Senator is doing in terms of fighting for redress for those folks is that it, it, it is the truth. It finally gives folks access to the truth of our history and allows us to atone for the sins of our ancestors and for the continuing sins that allow certain people to attain generational wealth and privilege, outsized privilege and others to just continue to be impacted by this cumulative impact of generations of subjugation. It allows for truth. It allows for reconciliation. That is the value of this story and the recompense that will be forthcoming to this family.
2: So Lisa Holder, could you give us a sense of where this task force, this reparations task force is at? Because we know that it just began convening meetings last week. So what stage would you say it's at in terms of a process of looking at reparations? And and what do you think is important for the public to understand about what its goal is, what it wants to try to achieve?
1: Well, procedurally, we are at a very, very early stage. Um, The reparations task force was convened based on um, A, B, 3121 um, which is a law that was recently passed in the California Congress that allowed for uh, academics, practitioners, uh, and experts to study uh, the case for reparations. So we, we just convened for the first time last week and that law allows us to study and evaluate the case for reparations for two years and to produce a report and produce recommendations to the mm. legislature as to how to proceed. So this is the first week in a two-year process. So we're very early on in the process.
2: All right, Would it be safe to say that there's still a period of time of trying to sort of distill and agree on what reparations can be, what it means and can be for the task force?
1: Well, that's, going, that's part of the analysis that we're doing. What, what constitutes reparations? Right. What can it be inclusive of? What is the scope of reparations? That is all the work that the task force will be doing over the next two years. And that is part of our mandate to really uh, define uh, reparations for African-Americans um, and to define the scope Mm -hmm. as well as the specifics of how it will be implemented.
2: And let me go to more calls again 866-733-6786 the number if you'd like to join email address forum at kqed.org get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum Gina in Aptos join us. Hi Gina.
9: Good morning thank you for having me. I I'm honored to be here and to be able to comment. Um, I wanted to add, and um, to Ms. Holder's comment, um, I really support her efforts and um, hope that in their study over the next two years, um, I hope that um, they consider all views, meaning. If we have 360 people in a circle watching the same event, we will all walk away writing a different version of that history, even though we were all there at the same moment. And I hope that as history can be added to and the stories be augmented, because every person there of every color and age and demographic sees it a little differently. And it's all accurate to some point, the whole Picture is 360 degrees, mm-hmm. right, in three dimensions. Uh, but that wasn't actually the point of my call, which is um, I completely understand the wrong that has happened and how entities use eminent domain to um, confiscate land that they need supposedly for the public benefit. And I, I, I support and understand the reparations to. The original owners of Black Beach. It's a, it's a Bruce's it's a, Beach. Mm-hmm. Bruce's Beach, Boston. Bruce's Beach. It is a, a shame what has happened, and clearly there are long-term damages for generations to come. Still, what I wanted to, the question I wanted to bring out for people to think about is this: Why stop there? Would, would it potentially not? lead to or could go to, or why not, return all of the United States of America to the Indigenous people. If they have received, and I apologize for not being more educated in this area, uh, they have received some reparations. It clearly is not um, equivalent to what they have lost.
2: So, so Gina, I think... Yeah, sorry. Finish your thought.
9: ...is the... um, I don't want to use the word danger, but the next steps could be, are they now going to return the land that was uh, taken by eminent domain for a water treatment plant that's needed to to irrigate the desert we live in in California and to bring water to our lives?
2: Um, so, well, let me put your question to Stephen Bradford, uh, who is also a member of the state's reparations task force, and and see if you want to respond to what Gina is asking. And then I can also ask Lisa Holder to comment as
5: well. I I mean, we won't be able to return property in every scenario. This is a unique situation, as stated by the folks who grew up in Manhattan Beach, who clearly uh, shared that this Land has been vacant since they grew up there and um, never was used for the purpose. So we know plenty of families have lost their land. Everywhere there has been a freeway in America, it has usually gone through a community of color. And they've taken that property by eminent domain. So can we restore that? But what reparations can look like for those families who have been damaged is similar to our GI Bill and we can afford free education uh to our CSUs and UCs we can f- f- provide uh low income i mean uh zero down payment or no down payment uh for first time home buyers we can provide medicare we can f- provide child child care to those descendants so we're those are the first steps those are easily to uh, achieve and uh, and design, just modeling what we've done for our G uh, GIs after the World War II by President Roosevelt. So that's how I will look at it as far as being able to return all property. No, we know that's not possible because of just the infrastructure that has been put put in place. But where land has not been used, where it was taken for purposes, you know, under false uh, guise and false pretenses as uh, with the Bruce's family where this land is still available, let's look at those opportunities. Much of what our Native American brothers and sisters have right now are their casinos on reservations that wasn't necessarily their Native land, but it's land now that they have turned, you know, made uh, lemonade out of lemons because that land that was given to them wasn't farmable, wasn't able to raise cattle, but now they have a oasis of gaming that has generated wealth for uh, uh, those tribes and those members of those tribes. So it's examples that we can use.
2: We're talking about Bruce's Beach and its impact on the broader movement for reparations in California. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Ella in Berkeley join us. Hi, Ella.
10: Good morning. Thank you for having me. I feel honored.
2: Well, we're glad um, you called in. What would you like to share? What's on your mind, Ella?
10: Well, um, I'll be honest. Uh, I'm very thankful for all of your callers that you have on. I'm, I mean, all of your, uh, your uh, interviewees. Uh, I was wondering, my particular case is I've suffered systemic racism all my life. Since I was a child, and I had no idea what it was, I thought that the problem was me, of course. My mother is French, and uh, I was born in French. She's uh, Caucasian French. My father is an African-American from Creole, from Louisiana. And uh, when I asked him why he wasn't around in my life, he told me he was too busy fighting a white man's war. I'm kind of bent out of shape, just an average African American. I'm wondering if you're uh, if if you could have your people comment on what an African American can do to let's say strengthen themselves and be available to support in such causes like reclaiming land mm. such as Bruce Beach. And be able to work on some of the other causes of the tens of thousands of lands that were taken from African-Americans.
2: Well, Ella, I really appreciate you sharing how you're feeling and, and also the background about your family. And Lisa Holder, there certainly are ways for the public, at least with regard to the Reparations Task Force, to be involved, right, or to get involved.
1: Yeah, Um And I will get to that in one second. I do want to thank that caller for sharing some of the emotional aspects of, of racism, you know, because this is something that Black people have struggled with emotionally for centuries, and it continues today. The American Psychological Association determined that racism actually kills it takes years off the lives of Black folks. It creates tremendous mental health burdens, as well as um, physical, biological, and health burdens. So it, racism actually kills, right? And if you look at uh, if you look at um, stats on life expectancy, you will see that African American men. Have a life expectancy that's 10 years less than their white male counterparts. And much of that is due to the experience of racism and the emotional, physical, mental health, and health toll, medical health toll that it takes on us. So thank you for relating that story um, to the caller. And we just have 30 seconds as a holder, yes. (laughs) Yeah. And what I will say specifically is what we can do to support. Um, movements like Bruce's Beach and the task force. Um, it's so important to get involved um, with the task force. Everything that we do is public. And if you go onto the attorney general's website, um, the, 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 civil, the, the civil rights uh, uh, department of the attorney general's website will talk about when we have meetings, what's been discussed. Aye. And, and next steps
2: so and that's that's a great resource and and chief Shepard, just very quickly in the last 10 seconds i'm curious if you would share ultimately what return and repair would communicate to you with regard specifically to bruce's beach
3: well it would certainly help us and uh, our family repair the damage that's been done by the ancestors of the people of manhattan beach Uh, we therefore, you know, would be able to take care of uh, college tuitions and mortgages and incubate businesses for our family and move our family into the future that we've, uh, that Charles and Willa Bruce always inciting for us.
2: Well, my thanks to you and all our guests. This is Forum. Funds
7: for the production of Forum
2: are provided by the members of
7: KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.
0: Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.